Hello and welcome to this episode of B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik, and this episode is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. At Testimonial Hero, we focus on enabling businesses to really accelerate buyer journeys by closing those trust gaps where deals might fall off the table. The way we do that is with strategic, high-quality video testimonials that are built up to be the right size, shape, content for whatever stage you're trying to help in your buyer's journey. On this episode, I'm joined by Scott Stouffer, who is the CEO and founder at Scale Matters. And we're going to be talking about how most B2B companies in growth mode waste tons of time and capital testing things without the required rigor to actually tell if they had an effective test. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Dustin, thanks. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, no, thank you for joining me. Uh, so we're going to be talking about, you know, going to market team, experimentation, how to run them correctly, what people are doing wrong. I'm probably going to notice a whole lot of things I've done wrong and learn a decent amount here. So I'm looking forward to that. Sure. Uh, but when we were talking before, you mentioned, you know, there's a obviously the right way to run experiments and actually get results and learn cause and effect. I'm curious what the flip side is. Like, what are marketers and researchers doing wrong currently in your eyes? Yeah, so... You know, if you think about the hotbed of experimentation, it's science, right? And if you think about how, you know, legitimate scientists would run experiments, they effectively start with a hypothesis of you know, what they think some cause and effect reaction might be. Mm -hmm. uh, then they get very precise about how they design their test or their experiment, right? Yeah. And in the uh, you know, in the scientific world, that means making sure that you, you know, have certain control variables, you eliminate certain variables so that um, uh, the resulting data can't be polluted or misinterpreted and all this other stuff. But there's a lot of rigor around designing the test. Uh, and then also a lot of rigor around how you measure it. Um, and what, you know, what we often see in the B2B sales and marketing world is and by the way, by definition, optimizing your whole go-to-market motion is really just a series of experiments and iterations all yeah. companies go through, right? No, I mean, nobody comes out with this perfect blueprint and executes with this finely honed engine from the day they start. They just co continuously iterate and optimize and, and, and experiment. And what we see in most of these organizations is that they're – there's a lot of creativity and innovation in coming up with new things to try, right? Because people are sort of looking at what feels like it's not working. Let's say, um, um, let, let's say our ads, uh, paid search ads are, are bringing in uh, prospects that aren't really in our ideal customer profile, right? So we're wasting the money on the ads to actually bring them in. Then we waste money on our salespeople's time to actually try to sell to people that aren't a good fit, right? So it, just creates a lot of waste and inefficiency. Uh, and so somebody said, well, I think the reason, you know, we're bringing in the wrong people is because we're saying this and we really ought to say that, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, they changed their messaging. Well, they, they don't necessarily, a lot of people, and maybe this is a bad example because it's so easy to do really good A-B testing in the advertising <laughs> world, but a lot of people do not really say, okay, what actually do we think is going to be the impact of this change, right? Where, where will we see that? Uh, will we see that in terms of um, uh, more people coming in, 
clicking on ads, right, which would reduce the pay-per-click cost. Uh, will we see that in terms of more people that hit our website from the ads actually submitting a demo request form? Uh, or will we see it that more people that come to ads and we actually have initial discovery meetings with actually will convert to a legitimate sales opportunity, right? So you have to think through how are we actually going to measure the impact, right? So the fact, those first two things I mentioned, more people coming to the website because they're clicking on ads, that doesn't mean that you actually solve the issue because it just could be more non-ICP prospects, right? So the only thing that actually would show you solve the issue is if more of the people that you actually meet with you determine are a good fit and you move them on to an opportunity. So, so this whole issue of um, thinking through how to precisely measure the impact of these experiments we're trying is an area that we think most of the, particularly early in growth stage B2B companies are, are just very immature with, um, you know, so that, that would be kind of high level answer is, um, having the rigor around designing the experiment and making sure you have determined, you know, what, what's the criteria to decide whether it succeeds or fails and, and exactly how are you going to measure it? And then back to the measurement part, you know, if you say, um, that the actual measurement is, would be an increased conversion rate from meetings completed to opportunities created. It's a metric, right, along the funnel process. You need to make sure that you're not doing anything else at the same time that could potentially impact that metric. Because if you are, how do you know whether it's because you fixed the ad messaging or it was this other simultaneously simultaneous experiment going on? So again, it's just being a lot more thoughtful and almost kind of engineering oriented in designing your experiments or initiatives. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think even thinking of that outcome metric that you're gonna measure will probably help inform the hypothesis that you have, right? And mm -hmm. if it's a paid ads thing and it's just, we're not getting leads, that could be click-through rate, audience, messaging. But if it's, we're not getting the right people, then it's an audience or messaging thing, right? You, yeah. so you kind of know where to focus. So I, I like that. The one, one question I have there then, because I've struggled to run experiments where it's more that downfall impact, like you said. So either, you know, lead to off or off to revenue where it's not a high volume sale. Any tips on how to run that experiment without, you know, it taking two years to get enough data? And that's something we've always, you know, had a hard time with. Um, so uh, on the particular example I just talked about where it was related to ads messaging and bringing in the wrong people. One of the things that we've actually done a lot of work with at, at my company, Scale Matters, is um, using uh, call recording tools, and, and in particular using Gong, and um, putting these very um, kind of granular trackers into the call recording tool that surfaces kind of prospect priorities or prospect challenge. Right. And so, so we work with a lot of our customers to get this sort of statistical view of um, prospect challenges, prospect priorities, you know, goals, et cetera. And then we, um, we 
match that data together with how our customers do. So we understand very clearly when, um, you, you know, the prospects who are more likely to turn into deals are the ones that these are their top three priorities. These particular yeah. issues don't even show up or anything like that. Right. So it helps you to get a, um, kind of a, a statistically valid and unbiased view of what the profile of an ICP person looks like. If you have that, and then you change your ad messaging, as we've talked about in this one example, and then you look at what's that profile look like based on what these people are saying that we're meeting with, you can actually see whether you've changed the profile of the person. You don't actually have to wait for them yeah. To, to get to whether they booked a, a deal a year later, right? What you, what you can do is you can see whether you have changed the type of person you're bringing in to make them look more like the ones that you know will actually convert to business. Yeah, I like having that early indicator because as you know, marketing leader is tied to budget and revenue. There's nothing worse when you get asked, did this change impact revenue? And you say, I think so, but let's wait and see, right? Like it's... Yeah. The worst place to possibly be in to try to explain that. Well, and so many, so many people are, I mean, I mean, it's not easy, right? I mean, it, yeah. if, if, if attributing everything you do precisely was easy, you know, everyone would do it. But, you know, this is why there's so much uh, uh, waste. I mean, anecdotally and kind of early in growth stage companies, somewhere between 20 and 50% of the sales and marketing dollars is generally viewed as completely non-productive, right? And, and it's because it's not easy to assign impact to everything that you do, but, uh, but it, you know, the companies that we see that are getting pretty good at this, they put a ton of energy into that. Um, right. And oh, excuse me just for a second, um, because it, you know, how much investment do you need to make to become very good at this data attribution and that sort of stuff? I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe a full-time person in a, uh, and some software tools. So it's called yeah. a couple hundred, couple hundred grand. I mean, if you're spending, uh, you know, if you're $20 million business, you're probably spending eight to $10 million a year on sales and marketing, you know, spending a couple hundred grand to get really good at this data and visibility to help you, uh, you know, remove 20% of this wasted spend. I mean, it's just a no, no brainer economically. For sure. And even uh, if it impacts down funnel as well, if that bumps the close rate 1% pretty much pays for itself at that level, right? Right. Or yeah. yeah, if it bumps the close rate some, which then ultimately may mean you need less salespeople. Yeah. Fair you, you know, to achieve <laughs> to achieve the same result. Yeah. Um so so yeah. I mean all of this efficiency matters, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, unfortunately, you know, while a lot of people particularly now recent change over the last year and a half are starting to say, yeah, we're, we're, we're focused on efficiency. They have not done the work on the sort of data side to be able to support decision-making that is, you know, imperative in order to get really efficient. For sure. Yeah. I think those days are gone, you know, where you can burn 20 million a year and hope it works. Right. Sponsor, you know, a jet to fly over the city and all these things. It is a different <laughs> world right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then one question there, you mentioned, you know, coming up with hypotheses up front, there's so many different problems to solve in a business in any given day and probably so many 
different hypotheses that you have. How would you suggest someone prioritize those, you know, figure out what experiments to run, what to really focus on? Well, I mean, from that perspective, we actually, um, we like to leverage what's known as constraint theory. Um, if you ever want to read a phenomenal business book called The Goal, I think Ellie Goldratt wrote it, but it, it's a novel, but it's it's about this thing called constraint theory, which is in a process-oriented uh, business environment, which is what sales, you know, acquiring customers is. You know, what you're trying to do is eliminate the biggest point of constraint at each time, right? So you get you get better by eliminating the, the negatives. Um, with that said, what we... I mean, it just so happens this is part of what we do for our customers, but we put a lot of energy into surfacing data that identifies friction or constraints. And we add a lot of contextual analysis around it so that you could actually understand the relative impact of these various friction points. So, so let's say, um, I'll just make some stuff up. Um, the conversion rate on the demo request form is, you know, it's, it's one thing that's sort of adding friction. Um, the, um, the, uh, onboarding of salespeople, new salespeople, we, we don't do particularly good at it. Right. So, yeah. uh, for their first eight months on the job, they blow most of the leads that they're given. Right. So that's, that's a certainly a, a point of friction. Um, you know, maybe we have a POC part of our sales process, uh, a proof of concept, and, and it requires, um, you know, just an enormous amount of time from the prospect in order to make the POC effective. So that's friction, right? So, so you know, our, our view is, you know, first identify all the friction, but then you need some way of attributing impact to those friction um, and there's, there's different ways to do that, um, which, you know, this podcast, we don't have enough time to go through them, but, but suffice it to say, there are different ways to assign impact to various friction points. And, and then you just start with the highest, right? I mean, it's, it's quite simple. You remove the biggest friction one at a time, right? And that, and that's what you prioritize on as a leadership team. And we've seen that philosophy work phenomenally well with companies and uh, I mean we've seen companies um, if, if you view a uh, measurement of efficiency as CAC right uh, customer acquisition costs uh, we've seen companies improve their CAC by uh, minimum 20 percent we've seen some outliers improve their CAC by 70 percent in a year's time simply by focusing on highest impact and uh, friction points within, within the overall good market motion. Nice and I like to focus there too on customer friction points and tying that to the customer journey a little bit because mm -hmm. I've run into that before where there's always this push-pull between sales and marketing because you need a certain amount of friction but then if you have too much everything falls apart and there's always this battle between the two or often this battle between the two right um, so I do think that is an interesting point so how would you know you obviously can't eliminate all friction or maybe you should like what are your thoughts on that is there certain friction you want to leave there well I mean, if, if, if the definition of friction in, in a go-to-market world is either something that causes 
revenue to be left on the table or causes spend to be wasted, then ideally you'd like to eliminate all of it, right? The reality is that because the process of getting really good at this stuff does require experimentation, by definition, some of the experiments will not pan out. So you are going to waste some money, right? Um, but but the companies that are really good at this are really good at quickly identifying these things that aren't going to work yeah. and cutting them off, right? So so you know if you can get down to a nominal waste of ten percent of our sales and marketing spend, that's probably okay. That means you're pretty good. You'll never get to zero. Um, in terms of the friction you were discussing, which is more sort of internal organizational friction between sales and marketing, maybe between top of funnel and bottom of funnel responsibilities, yeah. uh, that there's no excuse for that. There, there really is zero excuse for that. The only reason that exists, there's two reasons. One is because... Um, there's misalignment on incentives. So that, that is completely fixable, right? Um, and, and what I mean by that is for whatever reason, so many companies still incentivize their marketing people on number of MQLs or something like yeah. that, right? Well, of course, it's sort of like um, Fox guarding the hen house because they're the ones that are sitting there in Marketo or HubSpot playing with the scoring algorithms and deciding what an MQL is, right? Um, but but it's just stupid that they're even incentivized on that to begin with. Everyone should be incentivized on um, revenue, you know, total bookings, uh, efficiency of getting there, total, like CAC, magic number, CAC payback, whatever you want it to be, um, and year over year growth, because those are those are the things that drive company valuation, uh, and. You know, the um, the incentive should be the same for marketing leaders as it is for sales leaders. Yeah, maybe sales has a bigger portion of where their overall compensation is tied to the variable, but the variable should be the same, and, and and that completely eliminates any of this misalignment and friction that goes on because then everyone's focused on the same thing, which is. Uh, revenue slash bookings, uh, efficiency of the bookings, and year-over-year growth. Uh, to, to me, it, it's such a simple thing, and it's just crazy uh, how many companies you still see this uh, uh, misalignment. You know, they go into meetings, and they're arguing over lead counts. Why, why is there any question what the lead, lead count is? Well, because there's two different incentives, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Sales needs an excuse of why they're struggling to meet their number and being able to say there aren't enough leads is, a, is an easy excuse. Marketing needs to show they're meeting their lead numbers, right? And, and then another problem that causes that to um, persist a lot is that particularly in early and growth stage companies, they, they often do such a um, modest job of setting up their tech stacks properly that they end up with uh, data silos. So. The, the, the data that the marketing automation platform, right, Pardot, HubSpot, Marketo, whatever they're using, what it's producing is out of sync with what's in the CRM, maybe Salesforce, 
because the, the stuff hasn't been set up properly. And, and so marketing is reporting off of what they see in HubSpot. Sales is looking at everything in, the, in, in Salesforce. And if they haven't been set up properly, the data just will not necessarily jive. And that, that helps to um, support or add fuel to that natural tension that exists anyway. Yeah, and it's that that'll make it harder to spot the friction points like you referred to. Oh, oh yeah, actually wrong. <laughs> They're yeah. all gonna have a different view of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. There, that's uh, the role I'm in right now is I oversee marketing, sales, and customer success. And I've always wanted them all on big teams. So when I had this opportunity, I was like, this is perfect how things should be. Um, so yeah, super pumped about that. And then I guess one last question on the the experimentation side because yeah, you know, in a like a lab setting, for example, you can control almost everything or everything. It's a bit harder in the real world, right? And sometimes measuring, figuring out what the cause and effect is, even if you try to control it as much as possible, it can be difficult. So any tips on that, how to make sure the change actually, you know, have the intended effect and that you've controlled as many variables as possible? Well, I, I guess, I guess my view on that is that is really just to focus focus rigor around the things where you can control them. Yeah. Um, th there are always going to be some things that you just cannot properly do attribution against. Um, and I, I would almost say better off not to try in those cases, right? We, we see a lot of marketing people, um, you know, still desperately trying to do this multi-touch attribution, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's never worked. It's gotten less relevant as more and more of the kind of dark funnel, you know, more and more of the buying process is done well before anyone's ever touched anything that, you, that you're doing with, right? And, and yet, because there's been some tools or people out there who have promoted that you can do this, I just see a lot of wasted energy on that. And instead, you know, oh. there is stuff that you can perfectly control, measure that with great precision, be uh, vigilant in analyzing that data, et cetera, but then understand that there are some that you can't. And in that case, you still have to be good at, you know, applying logic, basically saying, well, here's what we know. And now based on that, you know, let's try this, right? And, you know, um, I mean, logic doesn't always prevail, unfortunately, but it still is a pretty good place to start with things. Um, and so I, I would say on the experimentation side, don't try to be precise if, if it's not possible, right? Because then what you'll do is you'll start engineering or fabricating stuff and then you'll start believing the data right i mean this is this is one of the things like with with the scoring and you know lead scoring and these marketing automation platforms i mean it just drives me nuts because you know people go okay well we're gonna give them a 10 if they sign up for a webinar well but that has that is absolutely zero indication that this person is, will ever be a buyer will you know of this stuff you know why are you giving them points you know, do you, do you have a, do you have data that actually shows that, 
you know, there's a higher probability of people that attend this kind of sign up for this type of webinar will actually convert. If you do, I mean, if you actually are building your scoring based on empirical evidence of cause and effect, fine. Most companies don't. They just sort of arbitrarily assign certain things. And then they start believing, you know, then they see this data, right? a lead score, and they start believing that it actually is important. Um, so, so that's why I say, you know, better off with no data on things that actually can't be, um, you know, controlled for, because then you, 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 um, you don't run this risk of believing something that actually was just completely fabricated to begin with. Right. For sure. No, I think that's a good way to, you know, wrap it up here is that art and science component and mm -hmm. logic and intuition still matter and mm -hmm. not everything can be measured because. I agree. I've fallen into that trap before where, you know, a few years ago, try to do multi-touch attribution between cookies, different browsers, you know, people in Slack groups abandoned it completely and never looked back. So I think that's good feedback for, for everyone. If they do want to, you know, learn more about you or scale matters, uh, where should our listeners go for that? Well, certainly go to our website, scalematters.com or, uh, you know, reach out to me. Uh, I'm still old school enough that I actually look at emails. So, uh, Scott at scalematters.com. And um, uh, I would say uh, be pretty uh, proficient with your first line because that's the thing I am sure to read. Uh, and, yeah. and that's what will compel me on whether to open it or not. <laughs> awesome. Even threw in an email tip at the end. So perfect. Scott, thanks yeah. for joining me for the conversation today. Dustin, it's nice to be with you, man. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining me on this episode. My key takeaway here is just the simplification of focusing on the most important friction points and testing ways to reduce friction and improve efficiency and just working down that list. Ultimately, improving efficiency means lowering customer acquisition costs, which is what we're all after nowadays, especially in today's economic environment. So if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, leave us a review or subscribe, and I'll be back either way every Tuesday with a new episode. See you then.